Hello, and welcome to Cross Life Church in El Dorado, Arkansas. We pray that this message from our lead pastor, Chester Passmore, will encourage and challenge you in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at www.crosslifechurcheldo.com. Thank you again for listening. We're going to have, I believe, a revelation moment here. This is a hard sermon for me to preach, not because the message is tough, but because this is one of those sermons that I feel like you have to hear by the Spirit to get it. Amen? Last week, you know, that's a great message. I'm not saying I'm just the man. I'm just saying it's easy to preach a Bible story. That makes sense? This week, I need you to be alert and hear with their spirit's ears and grab a hold of a revelation. I'm journeying. Let me just say it this way. I have been preaching very hard over the last year, year and a half, on the concept that the kingdom of God is not all about you. Amen? And that is truth. It's not all about us. Matter of fact, I've made this statement and still believe in this statement that our key in God is not understanding our identity. It's understanding Christ's identity. Amen? If I know who he is, then if I hide myself in him, then I am in him a brand new creation, not in myself through my good works and my good deeds, a brand new creation. It's in Christ I am a brand new creation. And the best place you can be spiritually is out of sight, in Christ, hidden away in his bosom, amen, hidden away in his heart, surrounded by his presence, surrounded by his glory. It's the the old thing that you heard preached that when you hide yourself in Christ, when the enemy comes to attack you, they, they, they can't attack you because all they see is Jesus, amen, the one who is the victor. And so I have taught very well this principle that we need to rebalance the scales of the gospel in America, that it is not a man-centric gospel. Amen? That when we think about terms of, of uh, who we are in Christ, that the, the, in that sentence, who we are in Christ, isn't the object isn't who we are. The object is who Christ is. The definition of who I am is who he is. This is why when I preach my favorite passage of Scripture, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, let this mind be in you that is in Christ. It's not your mind that it needs to happen. It's his mind that needs to happen in you. And again, the same principle. It's not your identity that needs to be cherished. It's Christ's identity in you. Amen? Now, I have... I have hammered that home, and I've hammered it, and I've hammered it, and I've hammered it, and I will continue to hammer it. But I want to bring a little bit of balance to this. The identity of Christ is an identity that you should absorb inside yourself, and that is an identity of being the beloved of God. You are beloved. Amen? Now, if many of you listen to like, different preachers and podcasts, and I want to say right now, uh, a few weeks ago, I mean, it's probably a month ago, I'm in my shop, and I'm building some stuff, and, and I'm, I've got a podcast on, and most, most of the time, I will listen to music, 
and I'll listen to just whatever, a baseball game. I love listening to baseball while I work in the shop because there's two things that Jesus loves, working with wood, right, because he was a carpenter, amen, and baseball, just because baseball. So I'm in the shop. I'm listening. There ain't no baseball game. I've pretty much listened to enough music that my mind, how many of y'all just get tired of listening to music after a while? And so I've listened to it, and I've listened to it, and I've listened to it. And so I'm going to put on a podcast. I'm going to put on a sermon. I try not to listen to a lot of different sermons, not because I'm too good to hear what everybody else has to say. It's just because there's things on my heart. And I've had this happen. And there's things on my heart that the Holy Spirit is dealing with. And, and, they will, and somebody will come to me, and they will say, they're not being mean or rude, but you must have been listening to this guy. And I'm like, no, actually, I was listening to the Holy Spirit. It's ironic, I believe, that the Holy Spirit is talking to multiple facets of people and saying the same thing. It's almost like the Spirit produces unity. Okay? But instead of believing in a spiritual dynamic, we just think that everybody's copying each other. All right? And so, I honestly, I don't listen to a lot of sermons, but today I was listening to this sermon, and he was, and this guy was preaching, his name is Damon Thompson, and y'all listened to him, and he was preaching on, on I, don't, I don't remember what he was preaching on, but he, he referenced the phrase, beloved identity, something that I hadn't necessarily, you know, been focusing on at all. And the sermon wasn't about beloved identity, but when he said that, something just kind of kind of stuck on me, and I have been thinking about that phrase, beloved identity, ever since, and I haven't gone and listened to every sermon ever preached and all this kind of stuff, and I'm not just regurgitating something I've heard. What you're going to hear today is actually coming from my study in my heart, okay, and what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to me and us, but I believe that beloved identity is bigger than just me being okay with who I am. First of all, the definition of the beloved is a man named Jesus. It all flows through the beloved son. Hear what I said. Everything about your identity and the love of God flows through the beloved son, Jesus. At his ministry, he is baptized in water, and when he comes out of the water, heaven's part, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well, right? This is my beloved son. And we are the, he is the firstborn of many beloved brethren because the beloved son begets beloved. Amen? So by very nature of our identity in Christ, it's not that we are so cool and so good that we get the title of beloved. It's that, that we are the offspring of beloved. Okay. Amen. They're going to be hard today. And my point is, is that I am the, the DNA by which I am patterned after spiritually is the beloved son. Does that make sense? So by nature of being connected to Jesus, by nature of being the, the, the first, the the, the, the birthright of Christ, I am beloved. But my beloved didn't come because of my perfect faith keeping. Anybody in here doing real, real good at keeping your faith perfectly and not sinning and not doing anything wrong? Anybody want to raise your hand and talk about how good you're doing and how great your walk is and how you've not struggled with anything? Anybody in here want to do that? My hands are down. Right? Right? My beloved identity isn't in the fact of how good I am. Is yours? Boy, I hope not. Amen? 
My beloved identity is the man by whom I am hidden in. If he's beloved and I'm hidden in him, then I am in the bosom of beloved, and that is my identity. Now, beloved identity comes from, and this is the revelation, I I want us to study the life and the heart of David because I think he's the key to understanding beloved identity. When David was chosen as king, was he chosen because of his stature and his skill and his authority? He was chosen because of his heart. He had a heart after God. Matter of fact, Saul was chosen because of his stature. He was a head, a head taller than every other man. He was handsome. David is, is, is described as ruddy, whatever that means. I just think it's that little midget football player that Rudy, right? right? So, and so my point is, is that Saul is, is chosen based upon his appearance. He's chosen based upon his skill set. He's chosen based upon all the men looked up to him, both literally, literally and figuratively. And, and he's cho- chosen based upon his stature. And Saul failed because he lost his heart and his reverence and his honor for the things of God. And when, whenever things got hard, instead of leaning on the beloved, he decided to take matters into his own hands, and he began to sacrifice and do things that were outside of his, his role as king. But see, the next king was chosen, David, solely based on as a shepherd boy out in the middle of a pasture in a field he would pull out his guitar his sitar, his harp, he would pull out his flute and he would worship the king of kings and the lord of lords he would worship Yahweh with all his might with an audience of only one and he had proven himself from a small boy growing up as being someone who was a lover of God and his name means beloved And so when Yahweh needed a king to govern the nation, he looked not for someone that the people would look at and respond to. He looked at someone that his heart would look at and respond to. And David was that man because he had a heart after God. So we're going to look for a a while at David. We're going to look... I probably, wanna, I probably will not finish, but we're looking at David because it's through David that beloved son comes, Jesus. We're going to look at those prophecies today, a little bit of those prophecies, and we're going to begin to understand about beloved identity, okay? Your identity in Christ as beloved. 2 Samuel 7 says this. This is when God, Yahweh, makes a covenant with David. David wants to build God a temple, right? Are y'all with me? I mean, you know your Bibles. God wants to build, David wants to build God a temple. God says no, but he makes a covenant with David. And in his covenant with David, he says, now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's army has declared. I took you from tending sheep. I took you from the pasture where you tended sheep, and I selected you. I selected you to be the leader of the people of Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and now I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. 
Is that true? Especially in America, but all over the globe, you can go and they'll, under, they'll know who Jesus is, but they'll know who David is. We see the prophecy fulfilled. And I think that, that, that there's something interesting in the name of David that it's the only name. There's only one man in your entire Bible named David. There's only one David. And he is famous, and God has made him famous on, based upon his covenant right here. I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from this time, for, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. A house not being a figurative or a literal house that, that, that David literally lives in, but the house of David is the lineage of David that will go on forever. I will build a house from you, David. Are y'all with me? Is anybody awake? Y'all took me very literally on the nap thing, didn't you? <laughs> For when you die and are buried, your ancestors will I will raise up on one of your uh, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. Now, at that first glance, we are seeing those of us on this side of the dispensation of grace, we are looking back and we are seeing that this is both Solomon and Jesus. Amen? It's okay to say amen. He is the one who will build a house. We know that David was not allowed to build a house, but Solomon was allowed to build a house. Correct? Okay? But we also know that Jesus said, if you destroy this house, this temple, in three days, I will build it again. So it's a dual covenant referring to a lineage that would go from David to Solomon all the way through to Jesus Christ. And it's ultimately us because we are kings and priests. And after the, right? Amen? And so there's one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will, listen to this, secure his royal throne forever. Does Solomon live forever? Does Solomon live forever? Okay. Who's the, who is the forever resurrected living one? Amen. So he's speaking, Yahweh is speaking to David, is speaking more than just about Solomon. He's saying there's a perpetual line. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod. At first glance, we look at that and we say, man, whoa, 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 this can't be about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus did not sin, could not sin. Amen? Right? But at some point, the sin of the world was laid upon the Son. And the wrath of God was satisfied in the one who took on the sin of the world. And as it goes on to say, but my favor will not be taken from him. As I took it from Saul, 
whom I removed from your, from your side. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. And your throne will be secure forever. The very next in the succession line of David is a man named Solomon. But there is a perpetual forever kingdom that would be ushered in. The kingdom of David ushered in and manifested through the son of David, Jesus. Who would go on forever. And at this point over here, we're going to start talking about eschatology and end time events. And when I say that word, some of us are like, woo! And some of us are like, what? Amen? But roughly 628 years after that prophecy was given to, that, that, prof, that declaration over David's life was given, Jeremiah prophesied this, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, for the time is coming. Everybody say coming. The time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. Why would Jeremiah 628 years be prophesying about a forever line? Because God made a covenant with David that his offspring would sit on the throne forever. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just, what is right throughout the land. And this will be his name. Our Lord is righteous. That there is a, is a Christ or messianic term. That's why when they refer to Messiah, the coming one, they are calling him son of David. Son of David means the Christ, the Messiah, the coming one. Y'all with me? Okay. And that day Judah will be saved. Israel will live in safety. Paul, 2,000 years later, Paul is, in my opinion, Paul is writing the book of Hebrews. They won't say for certain who wrote the book of Hebrews. My opinion, you don't have to agree with that. You can be, anyway. Anyway, so Paul starts off the book of Hebrews, in my opinion. Listen to what he says. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the capital S-O-N as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. In other words, like Jesus and Paul said, you can't see the father unless you've seen the son. God promised everything to the Son as inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. Hear me now. If your world's falling apart, there is a sustainer of your world, and it's the Son of God. It's the Son of David. Okay? That's not my sermon. He sat down. What did the king sit down on? When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down on a throne because there's a throne of David. He sat down in a place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than angels because the very first thing that, that the writer of Hebrews is offsetting is he is offsetting that Jesus is anything less than the Son of God. 
Some were saying, well, man, maybe he's like a a saint or a glorified embodied angel or something. And and the first thing that has to be corrected to the writers of Hebrew, to the, the Hebrew people, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the way I will prove that he is the Son of God is to take verse five. God never said to an angel that what he said to Jesus. How is it, listen, how is it that that the writer of Hebrews is going to quote Psalm 2 and 1 Samuel uh, uh, 17 or whatever it is and say, I'm speaking to Jesus? Because when he does this, he is speaking to the line of David, who Jesus is of. So David, the author of Psalm chapter 2, who in my opinion is referencing the promise and the covenant that we just read, quotes, you are my son, today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father. This is uh, 1 Samuel, uh, the one we just read, 1 Samuel 17, I believe. I will be his father and he will be my son. So when the writer of Hebrews to the the Hebrew people, his proof of proving that Jesus is more than a man, more than an angel, that he is the son of God, is to tie him to the biblical lineage of David, the, the, the messianic line. Are y'all with me? David's line in the New Testament. David's royal line in the New Testament. Jesus referred to, Jesus was referred to as the son of David. If someone called Jesus the son of David, they weren't saying he's a good prophet. They weren't saying that he's a good teacher. They weren't saying that, that he's a miracle worker. They are saying you are Messiah. Last week, Mark chapter 10, we talked about the story of blind Bartimaeus, okay? Uh, Of the man who was healed of blindness named Bartimaeus. Y'all catch what I did there? Okay, good. Okay. Okay. The way that we know that Bartimaeus was in faith, because Jesus didn't pray the prayer of faith over Bartimaeus. Jesus just said, hey, buddy, According to your faith, let it be. Eyes are opened. The way we know that Bartimaeus is in faith is because whenever he cried out to God asking for mercy, he didn't cry out to a prophet. He didn't cry out to a teacher. He didn't cry out to the latest healing evangelist. He said, son of David. He said, Messiah, the messianic one who I have been expecting, have mercy on me. He didn't identify him as anything less than who he was, which is God on earth. Are you with me? So, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of the beloved, have mercy on me. Oh, I got to slow down, Chester. Got to say something to have something to preach next week. Work on the jokes for next week. Matthew 12. This is phenomenal. Jesus is super duper smart. The Bible is stinking cool. Amen? There's a demon-possessed man. They brought him to Jesus. 
blind and couldn't speak. He healed the man so that he could both see and speak. The response of that healing for everybody who was around and saw it, the crowd was amazed and said, could it be that Jesus is the Son of Beloved, the Messiah? Could it be that Jesus is the Son of God? Could it be that he is the one from David's line that we had been taught our entire life for generation from generation from generation to be looking for? Now, what does the religious system who holds power in that moment say? No! No, 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 no. Y'all got it all wrong. Jesus didn't heal this demon-possessed man by the Spirit of God. He himself is operating through the prince of demons, and he is, he is, and it's the demonic power inside of Jesus that healed this man. Because that's what demons do. Not only is religion wrong. There I say, and please forgive me for my vernacular, religion is stupid. Okay? The crowd was amazed. Could this be the Son of God? No, this is not the Son of God. He didn't heal uh, by the power of God. He healed uh, by the power of Satan. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, and, and, and Jesus looked at them. And I, I, think it's, I think it's great because the Bible doesn't say that Jesus heard them. The Bible says that Jesus knew their thoughts. Word to you. He knows what they're thinking right now. Amen? About lunch, about China buffet, about how good my hair looks. Okay? He knows what you're thinking. Focus. Because Jesus knows what you're thinking. Jesus replies to him, man, you are ignorant. He, I mean, Chester vernacular, any kingdom divided can't stand. Uh... Uh, uh, if Satan's casting out Satan, blah blah blah, and he goes on just 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 exposing their their idiocy. But down in verse thirty um, three, he says the oddest thing that we quote all the time. Generally, when we quote this scripture, we're referencing somebody who is in sin or not, and we say, "Well, you know a tree by its fruit." Amen? And you know that they're really living for God or not because, you know, we just know what they're bearing. Which, by the way, this scripture squeezed right in here has nothing to do with sin or not. has everything to do whether it's Messiah or not. A tree is identified by its fruit. What an odd thing to say in the midst of the response to the question of could this be the son of David? Is this the son of David? A tree is identified by its fruit. I'm going to need you to expound on that, Jesus. But see, Jesus didn't need to expound because he was talking to a group of people who were experts. Let's jump real quickly over to, by the way, uh, let's just read that scripture. Don't, don't move. 
a tree is identified by its fruit. A tree is good. The fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Uh, verse 34, uh, you brood of snakes. Just stop. Go back. I just like to say that part. Okay? Let's jump to Isaiah 11, chapter 1. I understand that I'm teaching more than preaching, and I'm using a lot of Scripture, and, and you have the propensity to check out right now, but I need you to stay locked in, saints. Isaiah 11, 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Are y'all? Is anybody there yet with me? Uh a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. There's a coming tree that his branches will bear fruit. And whenever the day comes, is, is that the son of David? Just look at the tree and look at the fruit it's bearing. And you can understand, is this a son of David? Yes, it is. Look at the tree. So Jesus is like, stinking brilliant and he says to them and answers the question in such a way that they could uh, that, that they would probably have to just to retract and say oh what do we do with that because it's messianic it's 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 messiah you see what i'm saying there shall let's just read through this real quick verse two let's just read through this because this, i love this passage of scripture and it preaches real well if you read it in a preacher voice and the spirit of the lord shall rest upon him don't amen, Chester. Amen the Bible right now. <laughs> and the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of God will rest on this son of David, this shoot from the root who will bear good fruit. Come on. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. All you got to see, there will be a woman who's caught in the act of adultery, and he will not judge by what he sees in that moment, but he will bring her into restoration based upon what he sees in her heart. He will not judge on what his eyes see, or he will not decide disputes by what his ears hear. To him who has an ear, let him hear. But the righteous, with righteousness, he will judge with the poor. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will kill the wicked. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt. Truth and righteousness is the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Listen, then all of a sudden in verse 6, it gets weird. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. A shoot is growing. The son of David appears. And when the son of David appears, he ushers in the seed of a coming beloved kingdom. Let's step over here into eschatology. 
to one day there is a day coming and a kingdom coming, a kingdom of beloved that is coming, that in that kingdom the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, a little child shall lead them. Verse 17, a cow and a bear shall graze, the young shall shall lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like the ox. Listen, 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 listen. And the nursing child shall play over the whole of the snakes. Didn't get it, did you? <laughs> Look at a tree who bears fruit, you snakes. And then I'm saying to you that he says elsewhere, the faith as a child is greater than the snake den that is religion in this era. And I'm telling you, the faith of a child in the beloved one can play over the whole of a snake and have authority and power over it. And he shall take up every deadly serpent, and he can drink poison, and it's no harm shall come. Because the faith of a child in the beloved son of David is way more powerful than you brood of snakes. Look at the tree, look at the tree, look at the tree, look at the tree. I am the root, I am the shoot, I am the bright and morning star, I am the son of David. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Isn't it Jesus pretty stinking smart? They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That covers a covenant from David that will go through a line of the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David, and that will usher in and establish a kingdom of God in the kingdom of David. There's a coming city of David, a city of God coming out of heaven. Amen, y'all with me? And it goes everything from the initial promise to a perpetual never-dying kingdom that we talk about and and as the millennial reign and all that kind of stuff. Are y'all with me? And the kingdom is a kingdom of beloved. Verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse. Are y'all with me? In that day, what day? That coming kingdom day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the people. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Verse 11, in that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant. Any of you who study end-time events and eschatology should be just kind of crawling in your skin right now going, my God. A second restoration of a remnant people is the promise given by Isaiah through the line of the root of David, the root of Jesse. Are you with me? Here's where I want to stop and say to you, eschatologically, Speaking, eschatology is the study of the end times. Some people, 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 some people like to say that eschatology is the study of end time events. I don't like the word events. I think that if eschatology is no deeper than a set of dates and events, I'm not real interested. Predicting 
the coming of God, predicting a day, predicting how it's going to happen, pre, post, mid, drip, blah, 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 whatever. What, and we are, we are consumed with the event nature of end times. Are y'all with me? Are y'all with me? I need you to be with me. I'm not interested in studying, studying not even a good word, guessing what's going to happen in the coming events. <laughs> but today, as a matter of fact, I, 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 I avoid eschatology like the plague because it is a black hole that will suck you in and you will never find your way out. And you argue over stuff that you really don't even... Okay, anyway, okay, just forget. But as I begin to study this, all of a sudden, the spirit of the coming one begins to grip me and I begin to realize that the revelation of Jesus in the end times is true eschatology. And then I'm like intrigued. Are you with me? Eschatology, the book of Revelation, everybody says, is about end time events. It's not end time events. Again, I need you to stop looking for events. I need you to start looking for Jesus. The book of Revelation was never a revelation of end time events. It is the revelation. It says it in chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? John chapter 11, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Are you with me? And she comes out and says, uh, if you'd have been here. And he says, hey, I'm here. If you believe, you'll see the kingdom of God, right? You, you're the glory of God. I believe. Do you believe your brother going to rise again in the last day? I believe he will rise again at the resurrection in the last day. She was focused on an event. And he said to her, he said to her, I am the event that you are looking for. I am the resurrection. And I'm telling you, church, that if we can get outside of our own minds in eschatology and begin looking for the Son of God rather than the date, rather than the event, we'll have a revelation of the coming one that will set us free, that will empower us to establish his kingdom as the seed of the kingdom of David that is coming. All right? Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. When's the rapture going to happen, Chester? I don't know. I, at one time in my life, in a particular denomination, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not belittling it. I'm saying. We were told that we had to adhere to 16 fundamental truths, okay? One of those truths being the belief in a pre-tribulation rapture, and at the bottom of the page, you had to sign your name to the, the set, of, uh, a set of doctrines, and I could not sign that paper today. 
Not because I'm certain, certain there's not a pre-tribulation rapture, because I'm not certain there is. Some of y'all getting weird crying. Okie dokie. Well, we'll talk again next week. <laughs> Would not take a bullet for that doctrine. Put a gun to my head, say, was Jesus uh, the spotless lamb of God, sinless? Did he die without any sin in his life? I'm done. Did Jesus raise again from the grave three days later? I'm taking a bullet. Did, was there a, another experience on the day of Pentecost called the baptism of the Holy I'm out. Right? I'll take it. Shoot me. Amen? Is there a pre-tribulation? Please put your gun down. I think there could be. But for those of us who could consider it to be true, this is the number one thing that we get told if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Let me just talk to y'all who to believe in this and help y'all out for a second. The reason you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, this is what is told about you that I am disagreeing with uh, for some people, not all, some people to believe this way, but, but you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because you're just so sick of suffering and pain and how bad the world is that you're just looking for the bu first bus ticket out. And you want to escape. And the fact that you want to escape just shows that you're selfish and that's, the, that's, that's what's driving your belief in a pre-tribulation rapture. And there is some merit to that, okay? Um, I'm not a big fan of... Uh, of, of the idea of thinking that I'm just going to live in my mansion over the hill to escape all the world's problems, etc., etc., etc. Amen? And I do believe that the bulk of this type of thinking, uh, the theologically speaking, was birthed during the Great Depression so I could see where somebody who was living in that era could want to get out. Okay? But you get told that if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, the only reason you believe in that is because you're so sick of the world you want out. Listen to this language right here. Whether it's rapture, pre, mid, post, whether it's the no rapture and just the second coming of God, listen to this language right here that drives our eschatology. Behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one what he has done. Verse 13, just keep on rolling. So, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Verse 15, just keep on going. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. I am the root of David. I am the bright morning star, the Spirit, capital S, inside of you. You are the bride of Christ. Did you hear what I said? You are the bride of Christ, and the Spirit inside of you is saying, come. Am I the only one this morning who feels this way? The Spirit, the Bride, the Spirit, you the Bride, full of the Spirit of God, is saying, come.
come, root of David. Come, Messiah. Come, coming king. I'm not looking to get out of a bad situation. I'm looking to behold and lay my eyes on the lover of my soul, the beloved one. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who is thirsty Behold, if you come unto me and drink, I will give you water that you will never thirst. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Skip to verse 20 for me. He who testifies to these things says surely I am coming soon amen and the response is come Lord Maranatha 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 come 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 that's the end of the book guys that's the end of the book that's the last thing we read from the heart of Jesus that the Spirit and the Bride are saying, come. Let's talk about David's name just for a second. Hang on to where I am. His noun, the noun part of his name, the et etymology of his name, listen, is Dode, Beloved. You with me? His son, who is a, who, who the, the word says is the wisest man on the earth, writes this song called the Song of Solomon, the song of all songs. And it is a story of a Shulamite woman and her beloved. The play on words and the play of the son and the analogy of his father, of this man who is a prince, a king, the beloved king, the Dode David, that his father's name is constantly mentioned out throughout this song in the in the the basic form, the etymology, the, the noun form of his name, not being his proper name, but where he, that proper name is derived from beloved. Where is my beloved? Where's David? <laughs> the second part of his name is the, is the word, Hebrew word, uh, dawah. And it doesn't make any sense at first glance. It means to flow with disease. It literally means sick. Yuck. There's two times that a word is used in all of Scripture. And it's used both in the Song of Solomon. How many are with me? How many have I gotten there? That beloved and sick is made into one word. And the, the bride looking for her beloved. 
in Song of Solomon 5.8, whenever he come to the door, but then whenever she got up, he had departed. I mean, come on, how many are with me right now? I mean, how many, how many are confused as I'll get out? But how many are with me? When the, the prince came to the door, but then he departed again. And when she went to look for him, he, she could not find him. And she goes into the street, and she is looking and searching. And the world thinks that she's a drunk harlot who is whoring around. But she, they don't know that, they are, that she is indeed drunk, drunk with love. And whenever she find, when they come and beat her and persecute her, when they come and beat her and persecute her in those in that searching that she is going through for her beloved, she taken captive and she says in Song of Solomon 5, 8, I adjured you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, if you find my David, if you find the coming son of David, if you find him, will you tell him that I myself am David? Love sick for my beloved. That is proper eschatology. That in the last days, in the end times, there would be a body of Christ, a church that would rise up in the identity, a beloved identity, who would be lovesick for the coming of their Jesus. For the coming of the root of David, that David would embody their heart. The name David, beloved sickness, would embody her. And she is the spirit. And she is the bride crying out day and night, night and day. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Maranatha. Come, root of David. Come, bride and morning star. That's eschatology. Not looking for a day, not looking for an hour that we were promised that we will not know, but looking for the man, looking for the root of David, looking for beloved kingdom to come. That's proper eschatology. That's the end. One more scripture, and I'm, going to, and I'm going to quit. Luke 1, verse 30. I just want to say, church, there is something wrong with the body of Christ who does not have the come, the come on our heart. The word saying, come. There's something wrong with the body of Christ. We don't have a yearning for beloved to return. It had nothing to do, nothing to do with I want out of a dark and dying crazy world. No, nothing to do with that. I, I, hey, the promise was it would get worse. Deal, deal, folks. I'm not escaping, but I want him to come because I am the offspring of beloved identity. And there's just something inherently about the Spirit of God inside of me that just longs for him to come. But when Jesus was born, the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, 
he will be great and he will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne. The throne of his father, David. That at the announcement of the birth of the coming son of David, king, there is the prophecy of a millennial reign of a man, son of David, who will sit on a throne of David, who will govern the government in a kingdom of David, and who will, uh, who will oversee the tabernacle of David, and he will govern a church who has been given the key of What I'm trying to tell you is all throughout what was and what is and what is to come is that we are in seed form, the coming kingdom of beloved. And if we could now in this moment begin to live with the coming kingdom of beloved as our identity in Christ and begin to be the seed form of that kingdom on this earth, showing an earth that does not understand beloved identity, beloved kingdom, beloved throne, beloved king, beloved tabernacle. If we could begin to identify as that coming kingdom now, Planting the seed that when the earth is burned and gone away and the thing from heaven, the kingdom of heaven, comes, it is not a new kingdom. As a matter of fact, it's an ancient established throne that is coming to rule for all eternity. And I'm in that kingdom because I have been born of the son of David. Stand up on your feet. Next week, we'll talk about the tabernacle of David and other things. There's a song. There's a song by uh, somebody help me. Things are not okay. Huh? John Thurlow. And he sings this song about things are not okay and they won't be until you come back. And as I told you before, I'll be working in the shop and I'll be doing some stuff and I'll be listening to music. And every time this song comes on, I stop what I'm doing because I don't want to cut my finger off while I'm got fighting tears <laughs> through the table saw. Because every time this song comes on, it's not that things are not okay and I'm so disgusted with the world. It's that it's not okay that I still am waiting. Because the spirit inside of me is this not going to be okay. I'm, I am experiencing now a level of glory, but there is a coming glory in his kingdom that, 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 that all the answers to all the questions will be answered, and I won't know in part, and I won't prophesy in part, but I will have the fullness of his kingdom inside of me, and I long for that coming kingdom. I long for that coming day. I long for that coming man, and my spirit begins to weep, and it begins to cry, Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come. And if we could have a revival of that inside of us, it would change us.
we would begin to live a lot less temporal and a lot more eternal. And the things of this world would drift and fade away. And eternity would be the prize of our hearts. And so we wouldn't. Amen? In Nigeria, 10 people a day are dying for their faith. Because they're in love with a man. They're not in love with a religious system. They're not, you don't give your life for a religious system. You don't give your life for, for a, a, a code of ethics. They're in love with a man named Jesus, and there's something in their, their hearts. But there's also, listen to me, there's also something in the spilled blood of those ten people a day that the blood is speaking, crying out for the return of Jesus. And I am borderline ashamed it was such devotion to the coming king we experience in this country, such laziness. Such uh, whatever you want to call it, that we approach this relationship to God with such looseness that they are laying down their lives and we're trying our best to live our lives to please us. Amen? But when there's Maranatha on my heart, I get a, I get a little less day-to-day -day objective. And I begin to put my heart on eternity and get my eyes on eternity. And I put my eyes on the coming king and his coming kingdom. And the things of this world fade away. How many of you have been experiencing in your own life Maranatha? How many of you have been experiencing this thing inside of you that's, that's longing for his return? What's his return? Is it the rapture? I don't know. Maybe. But I want it. How many of you want to see him? face to face. Listen to me. I'm in no way diminishing our personal relationship with the Messiah at this moment. I'm just saying we have in seed form now. As good as we have it, as good as my communion is with him in this moment now, imagine that day. Can you imagine what unhindered fellowship Imagine what Adam and Eve in a garden experienced that we will get to have it again. Amen? The spirit and the bride, they say, come. Come. So right now, for just about 30 seconds, could you close your eyes? Could you lift your hands? And could you let that spirit out of you? Could you just lift your voice and say, come, Jesus? The spirit and the bride say, come. That you, being the tabernacle of David, the skin tent that his glory dwells in, is calling for his return. The worship of your heart, the devotion of your life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Maranatha, come. Let me live for the eternal kingdom of David. Let me live for the eternal kingdom of David. My spirit man says, come.
I am that Shulamite woman running the streets of this world, searching for you, longing for you. I am love sick. I am David Dawa, longing, longing, longing for you to come. In Jesus' name. We hope that this message from Cross Life Church was a blessing and encouragement to you. If we can pray for you or help in any way, please let us know by reaching out to us at www.crosslifechurcheldo.com. Thank you again for listening and God bless you.